game addiction. The idea is so new that the latest version of the DSM barely mentions it. However, for many gamers, their preferred pastime has become much more than a casual hobby. While researchers have been investigating the link between video games and addictive behavior for some time, the rise of a relatively recent family of games called RPGs has changed the way modern research looks at game addiction. Previously, the cure had been just turn off the console, but more recent research has begun to recognize that for some people, it's not quite that simple. And you can draw a remarkable parallel here with the way that society used to treat alcoholism. At first, we viewed those that indulged in alcohol excessively as weak-willed, before realizing later that their behavior was at least partly beyond their control. Increasingly, game players are demonstrating characteristics that appear akin to this addictive behavior. What are the causes and implications of this new form of addiction? What is the psychology of excessive video game or binge play? Are people predisposed to a, are people predisposed to addictive activity more likely to indulge in this behavior, or is gaming a very specific drug of choice for a subset of people? What keeps gamers coming back? Another area of examination of my research looked at the culture surrounding gaming. These days, especially given the rise of ubiquitous high-quality mobile games, a large portion of the population games at least casually. Naturally, this has led to the development of a sort of subculture around gaming. And this gaming culture rewards dedication. In order to become a high-profile community member, a player must dedicate thousands of hours. Play is encouraged both actively and implicitly through players giving help and encouragement. Further, newer players may covet the status and flair of more senior members having already put in many hours of time on the game. Factors such as these keep players gaming much longer than they might have without this social reinforcement aspect. For many, it can be one of the few meaningful interactions they take part in regularly. A natural question that then arises is how potent is this social effect? Is it really powerful enough to keep gamers coming back to fulfill their community duties? Video games are only rising in popularity, and as more people are exposed to gaming, should we expect an increase in binging? Or alternatively, is the demand already baked in? That is to say, will increasing acceptance of more experiences lead to a necessary rise in abuse, or are most of the potential players already gaming? Research in this area has been primarily conducted through the lens of previous investigations in the area of addiction. This seems like a natural way to proceed, but as some studies show, may be necessarily flawed. The reasons for this are twofold. Our knowledge of addiction in general is still being advanced at a brisk pace, and due to the rapidly changing nature of video games, generalizations about them may become stale over the course of a few years. Research stretching back to the 1980s examines excessive video game play. It is summarized by Sue Fisher in her 1994 study identifying video game addiction in children and adolescents. Fisher found that several previous studies that had applied a modified gambling screen borrowed from Gamblers Anonymous and discovered that by essentially switching casino games for video machines, many respondents met the threshold for addiction. Fisher combines this earlier research with her observations about the similarity between coin-operated arcade games and gambling machines, including the rewarding bright lights and pleasing sound effects, to conclude that adolescents spending too much time at the arcade may in fact be at risk for future gambling addiction. Fisher's research also generated some information about the habits of these early gamers and how widespread the behavior was at the time. Of the gamers that were identified as demonstrating pathological behavior, according to the study, 21% played every day and 54% had actually sold or loaned personal items in order to finance their play. Of these gamers, the average weekly expenditure was £10, which in 2016 US dollars comes out to around 32 bucks. 
While this is not very much in absolute terms, keep in mind that the adolescent subjects studied had no real income to speak of. In the context of a modest allowance, this represents a significant expenditure. In addition to gambling, studies have looked for indications of other risky behaviors tied to playing video games to excess. Many examine the link between violent video games in particular and an associated increase in aggressive behavior. One, called Excessive Computer Game Playing, Evidence for Addiction and Aggression by S.M. Grusser, R. Thelman, and M.D. Griffiths, analyzes the addictive potential of video games, as well as the idea that overindulgent gamers are more likely to demonstrate increased aggression. The study found that 12% of gamers met their definition of addictive behavior. The authors also identify a powerful mechanism of addiction present in some heavy gamers, the triggering of an outsized expectation of reward from the activity. Gamers like these spend an impressive 4.6 hours a day gaming. Fortunately, even among heavy users such as these, there was no evidence of an increase in violent tendencies. This is an encouraging finding to be sure. However, the authors do conclude that video games have an addictive potential. They recommend close monitoring of adolescents that spend a majority of their leisure time gaming. In his article for the week, The Psychology of Video Game Addiction, Jack Flanagan takes a look at the human aspect of excessive gaming. He makes a powerful emotional case about the risks of video game addiction. It's not at all uncommon for players of games such as World of Warcraft to put in 12-hour continuous sessions. For gamers like Leo, one of the subjects of the piece, Playing Warcraft involves sacrificing his health, money, opportunities, and social life. As Flanagan puts it, Leo gave everything to the game and got nothing back. There are much more horrifying examples as well. In 2005, a man from South Korea died after a 50-hour session. In 2012, a Taiwanese man was discovered dead after a heart attack, still reaching out for his computer. Flanagan discusses the nature of video game addiction, demonstrating it has many of the hallmarks of classic addictive behavior. These include loss of employment, estrangement from loved ones, and even physical withdrawal symptoms. He notes many people cite escape from reality as a motivation to game, and these gamers were much more likely to develop addiction-like symptoms. Up to 41% of respondents in one study said this was a primary reason why they played. There are also studies that argue the opposing point, that the idea of addiction to the game itself is the wrong way of thinking. In one study, titled Problems with the Concept of Video Game Addiction, some case study examples by Richard A. Wood, asserts that previous researchers have misapplied their findings, and that the root of excessive gaming is much more likely due to ineffective time and stress management skills rather than in any intrinsically addictive property of the games themselves. For examples, Wood contends that adapting addiction tests from other areas may not be valid because of differences between other addictive activities and video games. As Wood notes, no credible health-related organizations have accepted a hard set of criteria for what constitutes game addiction either, with the implication being there must be a good reason for that inaction. Wood dismisses any link between gambling and video games as well by observing that gambling causes users to delude themselves into thinking that they can win back their money, leading them to continue to gamble. Without betting, games do not exhibit this characteristic. According to Wood, this distinction is important, and when players do bet on games, it becomes gambling and is no longer simply gaming. Even when someone wants to play video games less but cannot, this does not necessarily demonstrate addiction either. Wood submits the example of a child that cannot stop sucking his thumb, or people that struggle to limit the amount of salt that they use on their meals. We do not typically label these as addictive behaviors. Wood concludes that media hype and cherry-picking of data has led to the problem being blown far out of proportion, with only a small fraction of players exhibiting the more extreme behavior showcased on the news. He leaves us with an interesting thought. 
It seems that video games can be used as a means of escape in order to cope with a range of issues, from everyday stress relief to complete avoidance of daily responsibilities. To what extent, then, does it make sense to blame video games for this phenomena? And in my observations of online gaming communities, in an interview with a lifelong gamer, I found their experiences were largely congruent with Wood's findings. Interestingly, I, find, I found that many of them could certainly be applied to my own gaming behavior as well. Under normal circumstances, I did not find myself playing games all that often, maybe once or twice a week in relatively short sessions. However, if dealing with a stressful situation, I often end up playing a little more. This is in line with Wood's idea that for many gamers, excessive gaming may actually be a coping mechanism. For my interview subject and I at least, that is certainly something that gets us in front of the computer, but what keeps us there? Like almost any product that is enjoyable to use, video games are engineered that way. After all, even someone committed to wasting time so doesn't want to be bored, so video game designers attempt to build in as many things to do as possible. If successful, these tasks, challenges, and rewards will extend session time significantly. To the degree designers accomplish this is known as the game's stickiness. In one online discussion on Blizzard's official Battle.net forums, a user describes their experience with this idea of stickiness. Hi, I play WoW every day, usually for 8 hours. I do not enjoy it, but I still play it. I don't even know why. I start to level cares, characters, then I stop, then I might make another character and level it. I go to Timeless Isle and just kill stuff for the sake of it. I always sit at my computer wondering why I'm wasting all my time on this game. For those of you who don't know, leveling up is a task of gaining experience as your in-game character by completing various tasks. Upon reaching the required amount of experience, a player's level is incremented typically unlocking additional skills and perks. Leveling, or a similar system, is one of the most common additions in order to make a game stickier. The slow nature of this process keeps gamers glued for hours. When I asked John, a lifelong gamer who self-described as occasionally struggling to limit his gaming time, what his favorite thing about his preferred game Skyrim was, one of the things he cited were these sticky, busy work tasks. Another thing I like, he told me, is that there are a lot of little tasks that are performed, and when I complete a task, that kind of makes me feel good. This comes into play in all sorts of popular games, and recently I experienced it for myself playing Grand Theft Auto V. Instead of playing the main storyline, I was running around the fictional city of Los Santos, picking up side tasks just to complete them. Sure, some provided a small monetary reward or an achievement badge, but not nearly as much or as often as the main story missions. So why was I playing them? Because these small tasks take less time, and the satisfaction of completing them was itself intrinsically rewarding. Another factor that makes for stickier bingeable games is when players are given a large amount of free will in and influence on the game world itself. This is one of the things my interview subject, John, kept coming back to over and over again while we were discussing his gaming habits. For me, what makes a game bingeable, and I'm going to relate to Skyrim, I like being immersed in that open world where I'm not confined to a single path because then I feel like I am guiding my own hand even though the game developers are pushing you toward a larger objective. And his sentiment here is something that's also demonstrated by one of the more updated res upvoted responses on a popular question answer site Yahoo Answers to the question, how addictive is Grand Theft Auto V? It's a fun and addicting game. If you're really into an open, free-will world, you'll love GTA V, the response reads. My experience with Grand Theft Auto V showed that it is a very effective tactic to keep people playing. The interaction with your environment can be quite entertaining, and seeing how the game world reacts to various events is certainly interesting. Everything is destructible, cars, planes, buildings, whatever. You have the freedom to choose to delay one series of missions for another, or to do none at all. 
it makes it easy to put in some serious time playing the game. There is a powerful social aspect to gaming as well, and many gamers will tell you this is one of the things they enjoy most about it. In fact, this is one of the main ways that I keep up with some of my friends from back home in Utah. We'll all get together and play the online multiplayer version of Grand Theft Auto V or Destiny and catch up on the latest events in each other's lives over voice chat. It's a fun way to collaborate with other players to improve your characters and stay in touch. And for some gamers that have few connections in the real world, time spent with these online friends may form the majority of their social interactions. John was able to relate to this when I asked him about his experiences with excessive video game playing. It was probably 1999, so I was like 10 years old, and I remember my parents getting super pissed because that's when my grades started to dip because I'd come home in just EverQuest, he explained to me. I think what appealed to me as a child was I was kind of shy and that massive multiplayer online interaction. However, the social aspect can lead players to game to excess. In many games, the best rewards require the cooperation of multiple players, sometimes even dozens. During these complex challenges, players rely on one another in order to be able to complete or to continue making progress in the game. It requires a great deal of organization and commitment to pull off one of these challenges or raids as they are typically called. And the community does not look kindly upon those who shirk the responsibilities of this commitment. Those that fail to live up to their duty may be ridiculed on online message boards or worse, blacklisted from future raids. The combination of guilt and consequence is a powerful motivator, and many players feel like they are simply there are simply too many people counting on them to not log in. So we're starting to get a clearer picture of what motivates gamers, and why some are willing to put in such long hours, why some are willing to continue to play in the face of mounting consequences, and what gets them to play in the first place. Perhaps the most powerful of the psychological aspects behind binge gaming is the social aspect of it. It's a basic human need to belong, and if you're looking for somewhere you'll be accepted, then an online community of people that enjoy the same game as you is probably a good place to start. As we saw with John's story, this desire can lead some gamers to get started at a very young age. For shy kids like him, fitting in can be difficult. In this situation, it is easy for someone to spend a lot of time trying to receive the social validation that they can't get in the real world online. This does not necessarily have to be a bad thing, but it does have the potential to cause issues. Dropping grades and increased isolation from friends and families are common consequences of excessive play. This can become a self-reinforcing pattern of increasing time spent playing in order to realize social interactions while becoming even further isolated from friends and family, thus continuing the pattern. The culture and community that surrounds popular video games also instills in players a sense of duty and camaraderie. This powerful appeal to sense of community keeps players coming back because people are counting on them. Not showing up for a scheduled raid might let down your friends, and this sense of guilt is a potent motivator. Of course this makes a lot of sense, in a situation like that where someone has made a commitment, most people would feel guilty for not coming through. We have been conditioned by society to keep our word, so this sense of guilt is desirable in a way, however in this case it contributes to people spending excessive amounts of time online to fulfill those perceived obligations. This factor is amplified not only by out-of-band online discussion boards, but by the increasingly social nature of games themselves. These days, many of the most popular games include social features such as built-in voice chat and even full online profiles for the player's in-game characters. Game developers know that by bringing the community closer to the gamers, they can get more of them to participate in it, magnifying the effectiveness of this social aspect. It is also the case that for all the subjects I examined, the completing of tasks, even menial-seeming ones, is a powerful draw. It turns out that people inherently respond to the reward of finishing something. It gives a sense of accomplishment, if only a small one. 
This effect, combined with a small random chance of completing a task may earn a player's rare items or epic loot in gamer parlance, keeps gamers playing for hours. It is a similar effect to the one generated by slot machines. Mindless pulling of a lever is a simple task, but upon completing it, even the most even the most common case where the gambler loses, they are still rewarded with pleasing bright lights and sounds. The chance of winning a jackpot allows the one more time mentality to take over and keep them spending. These are in fact the same effect, a phenomenon psychologists know as the partial reinforcement effect. Partial reinforcement describes an activity, usually something considered desirable behavior by whoever is exploiting this effect, that is rewarded sometimes when an act is performed, but not every time. The chance of receiving a highly coveted reward, perhaps a rare weapon or piece of armor, and the exhilaration that comes with it can motivate people to play all day long for days at a time. The sense of control that some video games deliver also contributes to many players' long sessions. People have a basic, primal need to feel like they are in control of their life and their environment. When we are deprived of that control by being put in a difficult situation, that makes us uncomfortable. Entering the world of a video game is an easy way to get back some sense of control, especially given that a game allows for a large amount of free will and flexibility. In the simple world of the game, the player is able to do whatever they wish. The game world is familiar and they are in control. This need to feel like we're in control is known as the sense of agency and is an evolutionary adaptation. After all, if you are in control of your surroundings, then you can be assured of your physical safety. And perhaps most importantly, video games are an important coping mechanism for many players. One of the most frequent observations I made was that a lot of people were just looking for an escape. Coping methods are a well-studied area of psychology and encompass an incredibly wide variety of techniques that humans use in order to manage stress. These mechanisms are broken down into many larger categories, but the ones we use when we perform activities in order to avoid our problems or responsibilities are called avoidance mechanisms. Video games are just one of many examples, and we all use them from time to time, and it's necessary to have a healthy strategy to deal with issues when they arise, and in certain situations avoidance may even be the appropriate response. It's when deployed for inappropriate situations that this strategy becomes a problem. Through my observations, I found that research like Woods treating video game binging as a side effect of other issues to be more compelling than research such as Fisher's arguing the opposing point. I found this result surprising, as upon starting my research I had the expectation that certain games were inherently addictive. However, unlike addictive substances, excessive video game play seems to rarely be the root of larger problems that persons exhibiting this behavior may face. Social isolation, loss of control, and poor coping skills are much more likely to drive a person to play video games to excess rather than to be the result of it. When discussing binge gaming, we should be mindful that while, like other vices, people may indulge in them at inappropriate times, the games themselves are probably not addictive. That is not to say that games do not have an extremely high rate of engagement that makes it very easy for players to play for long periods of time, just that there's nothing intrinsically problematic with this. By understanding why gamers binge, we can better address the actual causes of the issue. If we conflate cause and effect and attempt to treat binge gaming as a problem rather than a symptom, we miss the chance to help people with the issues that are actually afflicting them.